All right, guys, you ready? I've got a weird sermon this morning. Y'all like weird sermons? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, get excited about it. You, see, look, I'm just going through the book of Daniel, so I mean, I can't just, just skip anything, you know? And you get, to the, you, you get to Daniel chapter 7, and you find out why when a lot of people preach through the book of Daniel, they stop at chapter 6. You know what I'm talking about? They really do. You, they'll preach a sermon series through Daniel, a lot of them stop at chapter 6. Because once you get into 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, it gets a little bit confusing. You get, you get all kinds of beasts and bears and goats and rams and horns and, and, and people speaking pompous words and you're like man what in the world is he talking about so I'm going to by the grace of God try to make sense of some things that are going on in Daniel chapter 7 and I want to call this message this morning the end of history man that sounds encouraging doesn't it the end of history and the reason I want to call it that is because you know there is a very popular uh, a political ideology and it's called the end of history and what it basically means, how many of y'all, you've heard of Karl Marx recently, right? He's, this, he's the guy who wrote this thing called the Communist Manifesto. He's becoming very popular in our, in, in our, in our cultural psyche right now today because people are talking about Marxism. But what he believed and what other people believed is that ultimately human beings would evolve and we would evolve to the point where we would be like, man, you know what? We have figured this thing out. We figured government out. We figured economy out. And we figured out how to run this thing properly. So now it's never going to change and humanity will will go on in an indefinite end because we figured this thing out. How many of you believe if we just elect the right dude that things will be fixed and everything will be taken care of? Praise God. We got, a, we got some people of a sound mind this morning, right? We're not going to elect the right dude and things are going to come into place and the world's just going to get better and everybody's going to say, well, praise God, everybody voted for the right dude and now things are fixed. It's just not going to be that way. And the book of Daniel points this out very specifically, that the end of history belongs to Jesus Christ and the end of history belongs to His saints, the saints of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about the future, how many of you, especially with the things that are going on in our world today, Sometimes you get a little bit scared about the future. You get a little bit spooked. You're like, man, I don't know what's coming. And, and, and there's really two ways to view the future. You can view the future as open, and we're not sure what's going to happen. We have no idea. And to some degree, that's true. But I want you to understand that there's somebody who knows the future. God knows the future. He knows your future. And no matter what comes, no matter what happens, He has given us a promise as the children of God that He will work all things together for good for those who love them and for those who are called according to His purpose. He has a plan for His people no matter how bad it gets. And it's going to be a glorious plan. And if things don't work out the way that you want it, just like Daniel has taught us, we may not get to live the life that we want, but we can live the life that God has planned for us in the last days and in difficult times. So you can look at the future as open to some degree because it is, but ultimately God knows all things and He is sovereign over all things. What does that mean? What does it mean that God's sovereign over all things? It means that ultimately He can weave your human rebellion, my sin, Satan's rebellion and His influence all together and because He is so wise, He can work even evil and all of the bad things that happen in this world towards His ultimate plan. He's got an end goal in this thing, folks. And he says, you're not to be taken by surprise because you're the children of the light. You're not the children of the dark. And he has given us signs. He has given us his word to understand the times that we are living in, the things that we're going through, so that we can be prepared and we can know, listen, I'm, the, I'm a child of God living in one of the most amazing hours in history because while it is getting darker, the children of God are going to get stronger. And we're going to be able to stand as a bold witness for Christ in these last days. And while the world is turning away further, from Christ, we are going to be strengthened in Christ to be bold witnesses in these last days. Can you say amen to that this morning? 
And we have to be excited about that. We've got to let God strengthen us in that truth. Now, Daniel, in the, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, the dude is probably about 80 years old. And I told you all last week, just because you're a little bit older don't mean you're done. Amen. Just because you're a little bit older does not mean that you're done. we got a lot of young people in this church. And you know what that means to me? It means that we need a lot more older people in this church to lead us and guide us and give us wisdom and direction, right? We, we need a balance of all groups of people because God has not said, well, you know what? In our generation, we are a youth-crazed, obsessed generation. We think youth is power, but a lot of times youth is ignorance. And we need wisdom. And Daniel's 80 years old, man. He's lived through some things. He's got wisdom. He's got understanding. And God begins to give him prophecy. He begins to give him prophecy. And what prophecy is, is it's history looking forward versus backward. The Bible is 25% prophetic in nature. That means that 25% of the Bible actually tells of, of future events when it was written. 25%, one quarter of Scripture, tells of future events when it was originally written. And so prophecy is history looking forward versus looking backward because God is outside of time. And when he looks at all of history, he sees it from the very beginning to the end. God already knows exactly what's going to happen and it's nothing is taking him by surprise. He has perfect and absolute and complete foreknowledge. But here's what I want to tell you is that number one, if you're taking notes, God knows all history before it happens. You say, well, that's easy, Clay. Everybody knows that. But sometimes we need to understand that, that God knows exactly what's taking place in the world around us, and He knew exactly what would take place in the world around us. It's not taking Him by surprise. He's still in control of your life. He's still in control of my life. Now, in Daniel 7, He's going to give us a lot of imagery because a lot of prophecy comes in imagery. Let's read it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 through 8. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. That kind of rhymes. It'd be a good song to write. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. And Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and a dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the rest with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before, before it and it had ten horns. And I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, a mouth speaking pompous words. Now how many say, I know exactly what he's talking about. I mean, that's easy, Clay. I mean, read, you don't even got to preach about that. I get that. I understand that. No. And here's the thing. When you start dealing with Bible prophecy, if you think you've got everything figured out, you're probably a weird person. Right? There's a lot of dudes on TV, they think they've got it all figured out. I'm going to say that they probably don't. 
But we do have some interpretive keys so that we can figure some things out. When he talks about, when he talks about these beasts, they represent demonic kingdoms and empires. When he talks about these horns, he's talking about kings and kingdoms that have authority in the earth and they rule. When he talks about the great sea, the seas in Scripture represent the totality of the nations all over the world. And see, so you say, well, I don't get that. Why would he use that imagery? Well, the same thing, we use imagery today, don't we? If you're a Republican, what's your animal, right? You're an elephant. If you're a Democrat, what are you? You're a donkey, praise God, right? And, 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 and if, we were to say, if we were to say what represents the United States, people would say, well, the eagle represents the United States. So if you were to read in the Bible, in the future, if somebody wrote a prophetic word and said the, 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 the elephant went up against the donkey and prevailed so that he might rule under the eagle, what would we say? Well, it looks sound like the Republican won in the, in the, in the uh, election, right? Because imagery means something. And so he gives us these four kingdoms and he's prophesying before they happen exactly the kingdoms that would come to pass in the world. Because why? Number one, God knows all of history from the very beginning. He already knows what's going to take place. He's sovereign over all. He has wisdom to work things together for his good. He is still in control. He's still working things toward an end. And the Christian people need to know that because when we know that God is ultimately in control, it gives us rest and it gives us peace to know that my Father who created all things has an end Goal. It may get bad for a season, but he's working it toward a purpose and toward a meaning. And I can be in rest and I can be in peace because I know his hand is over all things. Amen. And just to let us know that, he says, look, boys, I've got prophecy here. I can show you what's going to happen before it happens. And let's look at these four kingdoms real quick. So you've got the kingdoms in Daniel's dream. Now, he was in Babylon, right? And that represented a line. They actually, there was an archaeological dig, and they dug up the gates of Ishtar from the gates of Babylon, and it had a line with wings on it, the same way that it says in the Scripture. And that lasted from 605 to 539 B.C. during Daniel's time. And he said, look, Daniel, but there's going to be a kingdom that comes after that. And he says, that's the bear. And this bear was like a fat bear that was fatter on one end. You know what I'm saying? That's what it says in the Bible. And the reason was is because it was of two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians. But ultimately, he prophesied correctly, the Persian kingdom took over. It was stronger in one side of it, one half of it. That lasted from 539 to 331 B.C. And then he said this leopard with wings, it was very fast. It was speedy. And he says it comes in from 331 to 168 B.C. Now, if you read in Daniel chapter 8... Y'all with me? I know this is deep, but y'all are with me, ain't you? you guys, man, you guys love, love the Bible and Bible study. I'm so proud of you. Uh, so, so here's the thing. I want you to hang with me just for a minute. Because in Daniel chapter 8, if you read of some scholars, some liberal scholars, they read it and they say Daniel had to have written this after it took place because there's no way he could have been that accurate. That's what they say. Because in Daniel chapter 8, it prophesies about Greece and it prophesies about a horn that would be broken quickly, but it would have power and move throughout all the earth. And that was Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, when he conquered, he started at the age of 23 and by the age of 33, my age, he was dead. And in 10 years of his life, he conquered the known world very quickly. He was a leopard that was moving fast under Greece. And Josephus, who wrote the Antiquity of the Jews in about 97 AD, listen to what he said. He said that Josephus rides into Jerusalem when he's conquering Israel. And he had a dream that a priest in a purple robe came out to him and told him it was time to conquer the Persians. When he rode into Jerusalem, the high priest at that time walked out with many followers 
following him and met Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great come, came in and worshipped in the temple. And the priest took him in and took him to Daniel chapter 8 and read Daniel chapter 8 to him and said, You are the fulfillment of prophecy. You will conquer the Persians. This is what Josephus said. Imagine that. Imagine that. And so, so Alexander the Great said to him, Well, what should I give you? What can I give you? And the high priest said, Give us religious freedom. And Alexander the Great gave them religious freedom. And then he left shortly after that to go and conquer the Persian kingdom. And is that amazing or what? This is Bible prophecy. People say, well, the Bible isn't very, very valid. You know, we got to throw that out. Now, the Bible from front to back is accurate because it's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's written by God. And this is the thing that we're going to stand on as Christians in this generation of an influx of lies left and right every direction that you're going. So he comes in, and then finally he is conquered. And he's conquered by the beast. Now, it's a beast. This sucker is like a big... If people draw pictures of it, it's like a big dragon with all these teeth and all these horns. It's got ten horns. And this beast is ultimately Rome. Now, this is why people will say and teachers will say that in the end, the kingdom of the Antichrist, right, is the revived Roman Empire because the book of Revelation talks about the beast. It talks about the beast. Now, the ancient Roman Empire was, it was from 168 to 476 B.C. 168 to 476 B.C. That was during this, the time of Christ. Now, what, what a lot of people will ask is this. They will say, well, how come Daniel's dream stops at the Roman Empire. How come it doesn't go on to talk about America, to talk about Russia, to talk about China, and all these other empires? And it's because this, number two in your notes, Jesus is the center of history. Jesus is the center of history. In other words, the book of Daniel is trying to teach you about two things. It's trying to teach you about the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ because all of history centers on the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we actually splitted, split time based on His birth. You understand what I'm saying? There's B.C. People say, well, that's before Christ and then after, after death. And maybe it's different actually in the Latin. But the point is, we are 2,020 years essentially from the time that Christ came and walked the earth and that's the reason why it's 2020 amen he is the center of all history and so Daniel is teaching Daniel is teaching that ultimately that's what matters that's why the Roman Empire see Jesus came in the fullness of time under the Roman Empire so that the gospel could go forth there is nothing outside Rome was one of the first nations to choose to crucify people as their type of execution it was planned from the beginning of time. God had all of this stuff in order. He had it all set up. And Jesus comes in the fullness of time under the Roman Empire who ultimately it was Rome who sentenced Him to death. It was Rome who put the insignia on the stone whenever He was buried. And it was Rome who lied about His resurrection whenever that stone was rolled away on the third day and He was raised again from the dead because God knew beforehand exactly what was going to happen in this. And Jesus is the center of history. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said the reason that whenever you get into prophecy like this and you talk about the book of Daniel and things like this he says because after him is what is considered the time of the Gentiles and Israel ceased to be a nation in AD 70 after Jesus died about AD 33 roughly right in AD 70 Jesus warned them that Israel would cease to be a nation they would be toppled by the Roman Empire and they were toppled in AD 70 and, and Jesus said, in that moment, you will switch into the time of the Gentiles. And He said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And do you know how long it took before Jerusalem became a city back up under the nation of Israel again? Until 1967. That was a mark in prophetic history to say, folks, 
We're living in the last days. Things are being restored. Things are coming to an end. But God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I want you to understand something. We're living on borrowed time. This is an extension of God's mercy. Because prophetically, we have seen so many things come to pass in Scripture. There's only a few things left before we see Jesus coming on the clouds, folks. Only a few things are left before we see Jesus coming on the clouds. And, you know, the, the, the Bible said that there'd be scoffers in the last day and say, well, Clay, you get up and preach that. That's, that's old news. I mean, people have been saying that forever, and he still hasn't come. Look, I'm not setting a date. I don't know. Maybe you and I will live to be 80, 90, and we'll fall asleep, and we'll say everything worked out. I don't know. We'll live for Jesus if that's the case, but we have to have hearts that are ready for the return of Jesus Christ because this world is not our home. And he's trying to give us Scripture to set our hearts in that direction. See, the next event, the next major event in world history, is you see a revival of the Roman Empire where nations are gathered together in one and there becomes essentially one global empire with one economy, with one form of currency, with one man ultimately ruling over it with sub-leaders under him. And that is where the scripture is saying that we are headed. Y'all feeling good this morning? Like this is exciting. It's like a feel good message, right? And it says at the end, he says, but out of this last kingdom, essentially, if you read throughout the book of the Daniel, out of this last kingdom, he said, there's a little horn, a little horn. I like how he calls it little. It's like whenever I write Satan's name, I always give a lowercase s on the front of it. You know what I'm talking about? He said, he's just a little horn. Y'all give Satan a whole lot of credit, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of time, do you realize that when Satan is bound, God ain't even doing it? He's going to send one angel to bind that sucker up and chain him eternally. One angel. It don't even take two. It does not even take two. It takes one angel that he's going to send because he's just a little horn. But he's going to rise up nonetheless and he's going to have influence and power because Satan has been at work and he has deceived the whole world and he's got humans that are coming into agreement with him all over the face of the earth. Human beings are coming into agreement with him. He's led a rebellion and he led a rebellion and he got a third of the angels to agree with him. And he's going to get a lot of humanity to come into agreement with him. He's doing it right now. People, he's leading a rebellion against God. And he's leading a charge against God. But see, he's ultimately the Antichrist, but he's the little horn. You know why he's the little horn? Because Satan, all he needs is just a little bit. He likes to start small in your life. Satan very rarely comes in a big, broad wide open way because if he comes with too much in the beginning it'll be too blatant it'll be too out in the open you'll see it see deception works slowly it works in small measures Satan is a little bit sharp when we when we understand things because see you can say well it's just I just take a little bit of that but then it leads to something far bigger than you were willing to go into just a little bit of drugs won't hurt nothing and it leads into full-blown addiction just a little bit of alcohol won't hurt nothing and it leads into a wrecked life just a little bit of pornography won't hurt anything and then it leads into a failed marriage just a little bit, just a little bit, but it leads into something that ends up destroying our lives if we are not careful. And see, this is the Antichrist that we talk about. Somebody said, oh Lord, he's went and preached about the Antichrist this morning. Praise God. Well, it's in the Bible. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I came to it as chapter 7. I read it. I was like, boys, we might as well do it. It's going, it fits the times. So we're in there. But Antichrist, it means against or in place of. Against or in place of. And ultimately, the Antichrist is a man who is ultimately possessed by Satan with extraordinary supernatural power. And in every age and culture, the spirit of Antichrist has shown up. First John said, look, the spirit of Antichrist has always been at work. He says there have been many Antichrists, many Antichrists. 
Hitler was an Antichrist. Stalin was operating under the spirit of Antichrist. There was a guy that was prophesied in Daniel 8 that ended up showing up in the temple named Antiochus Epiphanes. And when he showed up, legitimately, it was prophesied in Daniel 8, he comes under Greece as a new horn, it says in Daniel 8. He shows up in the spirit of Antichrist to demonstrate what's going to come in the end. And when he comes, he kills 80,000 Jews in one day. He goes into the temple, professes himself to be God. And what he does is he offers a pig on the altar and sacrifices it. And it was an abomination that caused desolation. And all of the people fled from Jerusalem because of it. And Daniel prophesied it in Daniel chapter 8. It happened. See, when we look at history, we get to read the Bible and we're not looking for it to happen. Can you imagine living in the old covenant and waiting for the Messiah? We get to read it and look back and say, no, he's already come. He's been here. He's done the work. He's raised from the dead. We have living proof. We have the Bible and we have the promise and we have history that pretty much proclaims and declares that this man is who he says he is. He's been raised from the dead. And if he came the first time, I believe, guess what? He's coming the second time to set up an eternal kingdom. But see, the... God wants to run things politically, spiritually, morally, and economically, and so Satan's going to try to create a counterfeit. He wants to run this world politically, spiritually, morally, and economically. And see, this is why when he comes, the Bible says that he has a mark, and it's 666. Now, man, there's a lot we could get into with that. I'm not going to get into a lot of it. But it is a symbolic number. He said, let... He said, this is a mystery, right? But he said, let, let, here's the number of his name. This is his nature. This is his character. But six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. Seven is perfection. Six is man without God. And so he has triple sixes. Why? Because he is creating a false trinity. The same way that God has a trinity. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. And he's God the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes as a man that is God fully possessed by God, and in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What you're going to experience in the Antichrist is the complete opposite. You're going to experience a man that is fully cut off from God and fully possessed by the power of Satan and fully living as a man who says, I am God. That was the lie from the very beginning when Satan came into the Garden of Eden. He said, you can be as God, knowing good and evil. This is where human beings are headed. We believe that we can figure this thing out. We believe that we can fix this thing in our world. Can I tell you that without God, there is no fix, folks. There is no election that's going to fix things. There's no political power that's going to take care of things. Our world is headed toward destruction because man has turned against God. Because of the six, so to speak. And God is saying, no, there's a seven. And He's coming And He will restore all things and He will bring perfection. He will wipe tears away from every eye. He will restore all things. He will usher in a reign of peace. And that is what we as Christians look forward to. You know what? I hope your political dude wins this November. But even if he does, it ain't going to change very much. It is not going to change very much because this world is headed in a direction under the spirit of the Antichrist. And our goal is to stay faithful to Jesus through everything that happens. And see, number three in your notes, God is moving All history toward his end. It's toward his end, folks. The devil thinks he's going to win sometimes. That's how dumb he is. Y'all ever just met somebody that's just totally ignorant? Like they think they got things figured out, but you know, gosh, man, they just don't. Like, I don't know what, I don't know. I wish I could tell them. I feel bad for him. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said, he's up here feeling bad for the devil. Verse 9 and 10, Daniel 7, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. 
His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fiery fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. These wheels see that he's talking about are God's kingdom because God's kingdom is always on the move. It's not static and it's not stationary. And the fire represents God's purifying judgment. And the white represents God's purity and holiness. And it says He's the Ancient of Days. He is God the Father that is currently, as we speak, seated on the throne with Jesus Christ at His right hand. And thousands and thousands set around Him. Angelic beings, saints, your loved ones that have went on before you around the throne worshiping Him. And all of them are waiting. All of them are waiting for the command that the Father says, Jesus, I want you to go back to the earth. I want you to bring restoration. It's time for you to go back. It's time time for you to set things back in order. And we've got everybody sitting around that throne, around the ancient things. But you know what? In in the Bible world today, when we preach things like this, I want to say this. Too little is taught about the supernatural. We live in a world where there are demons, there are angelic beings, and too little is taught about it because we're afraid to freak people out. Listen, there are things that are going to come upon this world that are going to freak you out way more than that. You understand what I'm saying? And it is time that as Christians we don't shy away from difficult things or shy away from things that aren't good for church growth. Because we don't need church growth. We need Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God, living for Him, living righteous and pure and holy. We need that. We need people who know the Scripture and aren't afraid to back off from what God has to say in this hour. And see, but everything is about practical tips for a good life. But let me tell you something, folks. The American dream is slowly taking a dive. And Christ did not come to give you the American dream. He came to give you eternal life and a new heart and a new mind. And so if all of our money is taken and the economy crashes, guess what? we got the greatest treasure in the world, and His name is Jesus Christ, because we're not living for the American dream. We're living for Him. We're living for Him, and He's telling us, man, I'm still moving everything toward my end. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, it says, The court was seated. And the books were opened. I watched then because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. See, when all is said and done, Satan rules nowhere and rules nothing. Some people will say this is a false teaching that God rules in heaven and Satan rules in hell. No, he does not rule in hell. If you die and go to hell, it ain't going to be Vegas, folks. It's going to be something totally different. The hell was created for Satan and his angels. But you have to understand, it was not created for human beings. But if Satan deceives you and you give in to him and you choose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness because you've been deceived by him and come into agreement with him, his fate will be your fate as well. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we have to understand that. that see, in the end, he is thrown into this burning fire and ultimately he is going to be defeated. He rules nothing. Verse 12 says, As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In other words, that's the season we're living in. Things are still at work. He says, verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, notice this, we, re- we sung this this morning, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him, and then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. He said, I saw one like the Son of Man. Daniel 
is beginning to prophesy about Jesus. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, what does He call Himself over and over and over again? 81 times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man. Why? Because He's referring back to the book of Daniel. He said, y'all boys, I know you've read the book of Daniel. You remember when Daniel talks about the Son of Man? That's who I am. He was prophesying about Jesus Christ, and Jesus comes and calls himself just that. But he says, I saw this court, and this court set in judgment. I want you to imagine the heavens opened, and you see a courtroom. And all of these beings around this courtroom with God as the final judge, sitting on the throne. And he says, I saw the court, and the books were opened. The court sat in judgment. Psalm 82.1 says this, God... Elohim has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, Elohim, he holds judgment. Now somebody would read that and say, well, what are you trying to say, Clay? Are there multiple gods? Now that's not necessarily what Elohim means. Elohim means spiritual being. And you have God, the main spiritual being, and then you have lowercase gods. You have angels, you have demons, you have fallen angels, etc., principalities and powers. And what it's saying is that in the unseen realm, God sits on a throne as final judgment. And there are a divine council of angels and beings, Gabriel, Michael, sitting around the throne at his right hand. And you see this reality. And in the end, God is going to open the books of my life, of your life, of everyone's life. And He is going to judge righteously. Now some people, we get scared when we talk about judgment. We never want to talk about judgment. But when you think about the things that are going on in the world, I said now a lot of times people are talking right now about human trafficking, about the porn industry, and about the wickedness that is involved in that. When I think about that, and I think about young children being hurt and being, being just, just abused like that, I tell you what, I get excited that there's a judgment. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody say amen to me. Now, when we come before Christ and the books are open, everything about our lives, our intents, the thoughts of our heart, the secrets of our heart are going to be revealed and the books are going to be opened. Now, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, guess what? Our sins are washed away and forgiven. That means that we are declared innocent, not guilty, because we've been justified by the blood of the Lamb. And that's good news, folks, isn't it? But yet everything we've done is going to be written in the books and what we do throughout eternity is going to be based upon what is written in those books when the divine council opens them when we stand before God. And see, this is an amazing thing. This divine council stands before God. But see, I want you to move on to the fourth point and that is that the end of history, when all of these things are done, belongs to the saints. And this is what Scripture says. This is what the Bible says, see. So Jesus is coming, but what will we be doing, right? Everybody, I, 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 sometimes you talk to people about heaven. You talk to people about heaven, and they're just like, man, I, I, just, feel like, I just feel like heaven's going to be boring. I mean, like, what are we going to do? Just like float around on the clouds? You ever heard anybody say that? Like, I've had several people have said that to me. And do you know why you get those thoughts in your head? Because the Bible says that Satan blasphemes God, he blasphemes the name of God, and he blasphemes his dwelling place. In other words, he has a goal, and one of his goals is to make you think less about God, but not only think less about God, but to think less about his dwelling place. I want you to imagine the greatest bliss you have ever experienced on this earth, the greatest food you've ever eaten, the greatest joy and pleasure you've ever experienced. It does not even scratch the surface of God's dwelling place. Paul said he knew a man that was caught up into the third heaven and what he experienced was unlawful to be uttered from what he was experienced. We've got something to look forward to, folks. This world is not our home. It pales in comparison to the place that God has prepared for us and we have got to make ourselves ready for that destination. 
We've got to get excited about that. We live in a world that is so filled with the American dream and all that hoopla that we actually somehow are deceived into believing that this life is somehow better than that one. This life is a vapor. you got 70 years at best, and the back end of it, your knees are going to break down and wear out, and you're going to start getting sick and cranky and all of that stuff. It's not the best life now. There's a better life. There's a better life. It's the one that is to come. And in Daniel 7, verse 15 through 18, it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions in my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High, notice this, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. See, if you, let me ask you this. If you could know everything that was going to happen in the next couple of years, would you receive it? Would you say, yeah, Lord, tell me. Let me tell you something. If the Lord told you everything was going to happen in the next two years, you would sleep with a cup on. You know what I'm talking about? You would, you would, be, you would be frightened. You would be scared. You would be like, oh my gosh. There's a reason God doesn't tell us everything. But see, He speaks to us in measure. He shows us direction. And ultimately, this life is a life of faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We trust in God. We don't necessarily care what comes because we're going to be praying. We're going to be seeking the Lord. And we're going to trust in divine strength for when it does come. But see, He says in the end, the kingdom of God is coming. And it, ex- it exists eternally. And He says this kingdom starts whenever Jesus came in His first coming. He brought the kingdom in measure. That's why He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, right? He says, it's within reach right now. The kingdom of God is already breaking through. How's it breaking through? Through your life and through mine because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. We can bring measures of change to this current world, but ultimately we can't change all of it. There's a very popular teaching that's out right now and the teaching is, it's called, it's, it's, it's called dominion theology. The idea is that the church is just going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And ultimately, we're going to make the world so reflect heaven that Jesus finally says, well, it looks like heaven. I'm coming down. Can I tell you that's not true? I wish it was, man. It'd make for better preaching. I get up here and say, you know what, church? We're going to get better and stronger and we're going to make the world look like heaven. And when it's finally perfect, then Jesus is going to come back. Well, we'd be getting excited, wouldn't we? But see, the Scripture doesn't teach that. It says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and it is moving toward the spirit of Antichrist and toward destruction. Matter of fact, we are seeing the culmination of all wickedness because the spirit of lawlessness is at work. Now that means Jesus said, occupy till I come. What does He mean? He means that in measure you can see my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as long as you are here, you are to try to make your city, make your state, make your nation look as much like heaven as you can. You're to make sure that your family looks as much like heaven as it possibly can. That's what you're called to do as a Christian. But in the end, the world is not going to follow suit with you. You're going to be a small remnant, but we're still going to shine as lights in the midst of darkness. Somebody amen me, because that's what we're going to be judged for. And we can see change. I believe that right here we should believe. In our, just because we know that bad is coming doesn't mean that we should give up and throw in the towel. It doesn't mean, you know what, let's take a nap. Let's not go to college, kids. I remember, I remember when I first got saved, I got caught up, heard about the rapture and stuff like that. And I said, well, what's the point in even going to college? Lord's coming back. Bad attitude. College kids, keep going. It's going to work out. Get you a good job, be taken care of. So we occupy, we continue on the path. We plan as if there's going to be 300 more years. 
We plan as if we're going to leave a legacy and our children are going to be blessed. We plan in that direction, but we prepare our hearts as if we've only got about a day left. As if He could come back this very hour. And see, He says the saints, the holy ones, are going to possess the kingdom. Do you know that you're a saint? I hear so often so many Christians that say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, the righteous... When He went on the cross, it says that He became sin who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That means that you were transferred from a sinner to a saint, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus did for you. His blood has made you holy. It has set you apart. It has sanctified you. And it has empowered you to live a righteous and holy life on the outside. See, He says the saints are going to inherit this kingdom, and you are one of the saints. And here's my last point, number five. History gets worse before it gets better. Man, that's a bad point to end on, Clay. Why didn't you just tell us the kingdom was coming and everything was going to be good? History gets worse before it gets better. And this is really because evolution, like I said in the beginning, is a joke. Human beings are not going to evolve until they figure things out. It's getting worse. All of our technology is driven by the porn industry and human trafficking. We're actually talking about killing babies outside of the womb now. Seems to me like we're devolving. Seems to me like we're moving backwards. Seems to me like we're moving further and further away from what God has for us. It's going to get worse before it gets better. In verse 19 and through 28, it says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than its fellows. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. What he's saying is is that when the Antichrist comes, and this spirit is already at work in the world. I was reading this morning about how many nations are being persecuted. Christians that are being... There are over 300 million Christians in the world right now that are being actively persecuted. I watched just the other day where in China, the police went in and just, there was a mega church there. And you know what? They just went ahead. They put dynamite all around the outside of it. They blew that sucker up just a couple days ago. People are being persecuted as Christians all over the world. And odds are, if we live long enough, right, we'll probably see it right here in America. And of course, nobody wants to hear that. We'd rather get Joel Osteen in here and have a good sermon and feel better about ourselves. And hear that we're all going to be promoted. I know, I get it. I wish, I wish it too. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. I was like, man, I kind of wish a lot of this wasn't true. I wish we had it easy. I wish things would just be easy. And here's what I'm saying is, let's, let's enjoy the good things of life. Amen? God's given us so much good. We got children. We got blessings. Let's build houses. Let's pray for good. Let's try to bless our city. Let's plan as if we've got plenty of years to see all kinds of wonderful things happen because God wants His people to be blessed and He wants His people to experience the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. He really does. And we shouldn't be so burdened down by these realities. As Christians, we should enjoy life. But our hearts should be prepared because difficult things are coming to the earth. And when they do come, we should not be overtaken. 
We should not be burdened down. Why? Because God has given us Scripture to prepare us. But He says this is going to happen in the world. And then He says in verse 22, He says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. We possess the kingdom when Jesus Christ returns. And then in verse 23, He said, Thus He said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. This is the demonic kingdom of the Antichrist. And shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings that shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And in verse 25 it says, He shall persecute and wear out the saints of the Most High. How many of you right now, you just feel like, you know what, with the stuff that's going on in the world, I'm just getting worn out. Anybody? You just been tired? Rest of you are strong. Praise God, you're doing good. Now, I'm being honest with you. Recently, there have been days, there's been moments, there have been moments when I felt like, man, I'm just wore out. I'm tired of dealing with this coronavirus stuff. We got people going back to school, and they're going to be worn out. Like we're trying to figure out what's going on in every situation and and we're being worn out. It's the spirit of the Antichrist at work in the world. Do you realize that as a human being created in the divine image of God, you were not made to be worn out. Sin infected us and we were put under this labor and under this toil by the sweat of our brow. But he says when he comes, he's not just going to persecute the saints like we see in all the world. He's going to seek to wear out the saints to slowly wear them down until they get tired and until they give in. And He's going to come in and it says in Scripture here, it says that He's going to change... He's going to change the times and the law. Ultimately, He's going to try to change the law of God. This is what we see happening in our world. He's going to try to change the law of God. And it's funny because oftentimes when the law of God is changed, you know what it's changed on primarily? It's changed on a sexual level. You ever notice that? It's always changed in those areas. And even the church is kind of backing up off of that as far as what God would have done. And He's going to change those laws. But here's what I want you to understand. In our world, nine times out of ten, when somebody says they have a theological problem with the Bible, what they actually have is a moral problem with their behavior. Anytime somebody says they have a theological problem with the Bible, nine times out of ten, what they really have is a moral problem with their behavior. They have things going on in their life that they are not willing to give up and they're not willing to change their behavior to fit the Word of God. Instead, they want to change the Word of God to fit their behavior. And when the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist comes in, one of the primary things that he does is he tries to switch the laws of God, change what Scripture says in order to fit immoral behavior. You see that happening in our world today at all? It's at work. But here's what I want you to understand is that we are in a spiritual war. There are lies, there are temptations, there's false teaching, there's compromise, there are catastrophes, and there are fear. But I love this verse, Daniel 11:32. He says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So in other words, this evil spirit in the world is going to try to wear you out. It's going to try to bring catastrophe into your life to get you angry at God. Some people, under the sound of my voice, you've experienced bad things and you're a little bit upset at 
God. And there's evil in the world and there's bad things that are happening. But he says, you know what? In the last days when bad things are happening, he says, the people that know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do many great exploits. God is coming to strengthen those who will say, you know what, Lord? I'm not bowing down to the culture. I'm not going with the flow of culture. I'm going to choose to serve you in this world. And he is going to release a supernatural strength so that you and I can do great exploits in these last days. Listen, right here, the City of Hope Church, that's right. Our church, other churches in our community, throughout our nation and world, God is raising up believers who He is strengthening because they have said, I'm going to stand on the side of Jesus Christ. And they're going to do many great exploits in a dark and a difficult time. But see, here's what it says. There's this counterfeit kingdom. I'm finishing up. In 2 Thessalonians, I'm going to read these last verses and I'll be done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 10. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is in a, according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Paul is prophesying, talking about exactly what Daniel is talking about, that one is coming. He says this falling away is going to come. People are going to begin to turn from the faith in a mass way, and the lawless one is going to be revealed. He said this spirit is already at work. And he said he's going to come with great power, with signs and lying wonders. And he says that many will be deceived. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. People are rejecting truth. And man, more, now more than ever, you and I, we have got to embrace the truth of God's Word and hold on to it tight. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Hang on to it in the midst of error, in the midst of confusing times. Our nation is so polarized in this election season and both of them are lying on both sides. There's lies coming from every which direction. And we have got to be grounded in the Word of God to know what the truth is. See, in Revelation 13, it backs it up. He says he's going to have a counterfeit resurrection. He's going to make war with the saints. He's going to put, cause a mark to be taken that controls the entire economy of the world. And if you don't have that mark, the Scripture says, you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade. This is the direction that our world is moving. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. Is that even in the book of Revelation, see, we're not, we teach about the Antichrist because it's in Scripture. But ultimately, we are waiting for the coming of the Christ. Because he will destroy this man with the very speech out of his mouth. He will open his mouth and it'll be like a sword, and this man's days will be over, and Satan's days will be over. And we, as the saints of the Most High God, will receive an eternal kingdom. And right now there's a war going on. The Bible says, multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision in the day of the Lord. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. And you and I, we've got a decision to make. It's very easy right now, it's very easy for me to just look at all the things that are going on in the world, to get a little bit discouraged, to get a little bit bothered, and to just kind of get lazy. 
You understand what I'm saying? Just kind of say, you know what? I don't want to have to deal with this stuff. But I go back to God in prayer and I sense the Holy Spirit saying, no, Clay, now's the time. Now's the time. You are in the valley of decision. Your church, your people, they're all in the valley of decision. We've got a decision to make whether or not we're going to get with God and we're going to seek God's face and we're going to pray on behalf of our community and on behalf of the nation. And if nobody else repents and turns to God, man, we've got a responsibility to say, Lord God, have mercy on me. Lord, I turn from my sin. I'm turning to you. I need your spirit. I need the spirit of truth to lead me because God, I want to be ready when you come. See, Jesus called Himself the Son of Man just a few times. He said things like this. He says in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He said in Matthew 17, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill Him and He will be raised on the third day. Matthew 26, He said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Matthew 16, He says, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. In Matthew 24, he says, You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming at an hour we don't expect, folks. And we want our hearts to be ready. I want you to pray with me. I want us to all pray that our hearts are ready. Would you just bow your heads right where you're at? This morning, if you feel like the Lord is, is pulling on your heart, I want you to respond to Him. Say, if you would say, you know what, I want to be ready. I want my heart to be ready, and that's just something that I'm not sure about. But I do believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe He is who He says He is. I believe He was raised from the dead, and I believe that He can give me eternal life and wash away my sins. And I want to begin that journey with Him. If that's you, with your eyes closed, every head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand so I can know you're out there. Anybody at all. Anybody at all this morning. I got some folks. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift your hand up as an act of faith this morning. Listen, I love to see anybody just say, you know what, that's me. So I'm thankful for the hands that went up this morning. But I want you to pray with me. And so, Lord, we pray right now. Lord God, we want to make our hearts right with you. We confess, Lord, that we are sinners, but we believe, Lord, that your blood is able to make us saints, to purify us. So we receive this morning the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we look forward to the hope of eternal life in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we want our hearts to be purified and we want to be prepared for your second coming. Lord, we're looking for you to come on the clouds. But Lord, until that day takes place, would you fill us with your spirit and would you give us supernatural strength, each and every one of us. Just lift your hand to the Lord. Say, Lord, I need supernatural strength this morning so that I can overcome this world and the things that are being thrown against me. Lord, all the trials, all the temptations, I need the strength of your Holy Spirit so that I can overcome the things that are coming against me. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me joy? Would you give me peace, God? Would you give me power to overcome, Lord God? Because we're looking forward to the day that you're returning, Lord. And until that day, God, we're going to live for you and we're going to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord Jesus, we lift up your name this morning. We give you the worship and the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve, God. I want you to just stand to your feet right where you're at. We're going to take a moment. We're going to just worship the Lord together. I want you to pray. I want you to respond to the Lord. Just begin to lift up your worship. Lift up your praise to the Lord this morning as we close. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, God.